So hi, Paul here from the Nonpartisan Evangelical. And uh, as I've done before, I had my daughter, Sydney, on the show. I like to hear from different generations of just what's happening in culture out there. And I, I don't know where the conversation's going to go today, but I've got a great guest in uh, Kylan Hall, who is a, a spoken word artist and joins me today to talk about whatever. Uh, there are certain people who, who can go on without having to encounter... The, the meaning behind their subjectivity so much as opposed to someone of color who does even just business casual clothing why is it that that is that that this type of of dress is the norm and it goes back to the idea that it was created to say america was built to say that that these type of people white males are the norm right and so what what they what we do and the country we create as a result of of establishing that idea right um will just always continue to seem like what is normal and so that makes it difficult to perceive yourself as someone who op, who who benefits from that institution mm. because it's like no 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 this is the standard, this is the land of the free, which means that everyone is free. But what you don't hear is that everyone is really the white male. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't get that <laughs> connection made ever. Yeah. And that's part of the, the genius even behind it. That's the part of the brain behind it. That's how you sustain hmm. the system. All right, welcome back. It's the nonpartisan evangelical Paul Swearingen here with you to talk a little bit of culture and uh, other stuff going on in the world today. And it's uh, brought to us by our, our Patreon site. I want you to join our NPE Patreon community. If you go to my website at npepodcast.com, click on that Partner With Us button. Uh, you get to help us financially, and you get all kinds of cool stuff on there. So go check us out at our Patreon community where you... You get a little bit more of Ashley and me behind the scenes. Sometimes we do some goofy stuff. So check it out. Uh, NPEpodcast.com is the website. And click that Partner With Us button to get the, the Patreon site. Patreon, by the way, for any of you that don't know, is a creatives website uh, with this concept. William Shakespeare, Galileo, Mozart, they all had patrons that uh, helped finance their life so they could do their art. And Patreon... Uh, is now a website that's sort of doing that uh, today so creatives can do what they do and have some financial support in that. So I would appreciate you being a part of that community for us, for my wife Ashley and I, at uh, the NPE Podcast Patreon community. So now that the commercial's out of the way, let me bring in our guest, Kylan Hall, is here today. How are you doing, Kylan? You know, I'm doing okay, and I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. So very quickly, you're a spoken word artist. You and I did another podcast that, that I do together. So I learned a bit about what a, you're not a poet. You're a spoken <laughs> word artist. Tell us what a spoken word artist is. Oh, great. An opportunity to define. Yes. Um, yeah. So uh, <laughs> as a spoken word artist, I describe myself as a performance poet. Um, so I try not to prioritize uh, the poetic element because I think that that is um, that really uh, goes to you know the written form and I think that that's a, that's um, a beautiful part of what I love to do but the performative aspect plays such a key role in shaping that that I think spoken word um, sort of combines elements of theater and performance um, and rhetoric into the written word and so that's kind of what it means for me to be a, a spoken word artist so that's cool when did you Decide you were a spoken word artist. <laughs> um, uh, well, I've been deciding it ever, you know, as I continue to write and as I continue to perform and um, as others continue to uh, enjoy uh, my work, I continue to say um, that I am. But that started when I was 18. Um, so 23 now. It's been out five years. And uh, yeah. Yeah, five years. That's very cool. And do you get do you find good venues to be able to do that? And oh yeah, absolutely. You know, especially in Fresno yeah. with uh, um, such a great community. Um, it's it's been um, easy for me to be plugged into different banquets or conferences or um, church events where people have a theme to you know their event and they ask me to write to it, and so um, I get invited into their spaces in that way. And it's always, um, it's always really fun and it gives me an excuse to be creative. So. Ah, very cool. Well, I'm excited yeah. to have you. So you said you're 23. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. My gosh. You're, you're about half my age at this point. <laughs> um, a little, little more than that, but, uh, um, I, I love to hear what's going on in the world from perspectives that aren't mine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Here on the nonpartisan evangelical sort of our thing is to let, let's go after why are the mindsets the way they are. I grew up in a, in a church environment where, uh, God very much was Republican, and, and okay. if you were godly, you were a Republican. Okay. And if you weren't a Republican, it was very questionable whether wow. you were going to heaven or not. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, how's your in, in, environment? I know you're a person of faith. Yeah. Um, so what does culture look like from, from your perspective as being somebody younger and maybe growing up in a little different environment than me? Oh, for sure. You know, um, hearing that perspective or that type of, you know, that upbringing is, is not something I'm unfamiliar with. I've, but I've, but I've also heard so many other experiences, you know, I think that, um, part of my experience of, of, you know, the culture and even just maybe the people that in my age group is, is such a diversity of experiences. Um, people who have that experience of, yeah, either you were conservative, conservative, um, and that meant that you had the right ideas, the right paradigm, or, um, you're just super open-minded and kind of, um, uh, yeah, just very, um, uh, I don't want to, you know, constrict it with the term, you know, liberal. <laughs> Isn't that <laughs> tough? <laughs> We've made we've made these words to be yeah. inherently evil. <laughs> no, yeah, no, which which obviously yeah, of course of course they're not. But but yeah, my, my But you're right. You know words evoke emotion and yeah, yeah, that's, that's your, exactly that's you what you do. Absolutely. And, I'm sensitive to that. Yeah. To, to the rule of words. Isn't that interesting? Absolutely. Yeah. So you don't yeah. want to say the word liberal. <laughs> I, I do. I mean, yeah, I mean that's that's my that's my leaning it's in so far as I understand that, right? And I have I have a long ways to go in terms of understanding the history and even just the trajectory of liberalism and what that, you know, what that looks like. And, um, but insofar as being, um, someone define what it means to you, what does liberal mm, mean to you? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the way that I would describe it is, um, keeping the government open to preserving, uh, the rights of individuals who maybe historically have not been so grafted into the consideration of, um, the extents of freedoms and liberalities, um, that our nation offers. Um, so yeah, I don't, yeah, that's, that's a, yeah, that's a loose definition. It's kind of a, kind of a justice, uh, aspect to that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, and, and honestly, I think, like I said, I, I don't have a lot of understanding of, of, you know, the parties and, and, um, um, you know, specific stances and stuff. But I, I think that just because of my overall concern um, within the culture and for human beings, um, I've I've experienced liberals to be the ones um, who are sensitive um, and who are willing to listen well. Um, <laughs> that's not to say that I um, don't know conservatives who are also willing to listen. Um, but I'm from my experience, um, there is much more, um, sort of willingness to empathize and sort of be humble in the sense that there are other experiences other than mine that hmm. can have authority and not only just be, you know, words or ideas, but can be something that I need to, to graft into my life. If I'm going to decide what it means to be someone in the body politic. And so, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I'm, I'm certainly not asking you to be an expert on political yeah. parties. And, um, and I sort of interrupted your growing up story there. But, so mm. I want to hear more of that. But uh, I, I think there's, I, I'm, I'm challenging people to have a bit of an evolution in wherever they're coming from, mm, whether yeah. liberal, conservative, Republican, sure. Democrat, whatever that looks like. But it seems uh, to me that for millennials, would, would you, let's see, at your age, would you be a millennial? or I, you, I'm like barely made the cutoff. You yeah. just barely made the cutoff. All right, you're <laughs> yeah. right on the... <laughs> yeah. So it seems like party doesn't matter. Mm. Political party matters, doesn't matter nearly as much as just what's in your heart, right? That's, that's, that's where I stand. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I and a lot of that I'm sure has to do with the way that I've grown up as a Christian. Um, I know that that, um, and my um, sort of like um, political investment is changing, but for the majority of my life, um, there hasn't been much emphasis on being active in the political arena, which I'm now understanding is so important, right? Like it's so crucial. It's like the personal is political. You have to be engaged. You have to understand what's happening. 
Um, and so it's really important. Um, but also, um, yeah, I think for me, it's like prioritizing um, how I want to be as um, an empathizing and wise person in the world who um, can take into consideration the varying experiences of the humans that make up our citizen, you know, citizenry and like the uh, the people who make up our municipality and all that. So, um, yeah, I'll just say that. <laughs> and, and so tell me more about you when you're growing up, your experience yeah. different than mine a little bit. Huh? Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I don't remember. Yeah. Well, I, I remember growing up and there was n- like no talk about politics at all. Um, and I think that my, and I, well, I had like two kind of growing up experiences, one in my mom's household. So like mom slash grandma and then one in my dad's household. And so those were two different. My dad was very just kind of like politically and disengaged, um, in general. And then my mom and my grandma, um, you know, the emphasis of their life was faith, but that didn't really include sort of, um, being active, politically i don't ever remember having conversations about that at all Mm. um and so coming you know being in fresno and going to college at fpu and being in the community that i'm in now um and realizing just how integrated um sort of political activity seem should i in my recent experience be in the in your personal faith and, and and how you sort of relate to god and people for everybody that might, we do have people listening around the world. So FPU is Fresno Pacific, oh, which yes. is a yes. Mennonite Brethren. It's a yeah. <laughs> it's a church based college. Yeah, uh, here private in, Christian college. Yeah, in Fresno where I live. Yeah, and so do you do you feel like this this thing of being involved in politics is is being foisted on you, or mm. or are you looking at your faith, looking at scripture, however you walk out your faith, and starting to feel like you're seeing that in what you're studying and, and that is becoming active in you. Oh yeah, it is definitely. Well, so I think that there's no way around the role that community has played, right? Like we're all formed by, you know, the communities that we um, are a part of to an extent, but I, but I have for my own self found, uh, I've just been so compelled by the history of specifically America's injustices. Um, you know, so, uh, people of color, um, the gender disparities, um, you know, ableism, sexes, like all of the isms, right? Like that I'm learning about from a historical point of view and trying to understand how race gets created as a category and gender gets created as a category so that you can control and so that you can allow certain people to have certain things and to make it okay for others to not have. And, and especially as a poet, as a storyteller, what becomes important, why I'm so interested is because I care about story and myth, right? Like there are so mm. many things that we take for granted that we believe, but we believe them without knowing that there's like a, 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 um, an origin story behind them, right? And so you can't just say this is true without understanding that there was someone before you way down the line some group of people that had this idea and it's gained momentum since you're being here. And that's the reason for why it's so easy to feel like it is just big T true without any opposition. Hmm. Um, so that's interesting. Have you ever heard the story of the emperor's new clothes? Do you know that story? Emperor's new clothes? No, it's, it's a, it's a fable. I don't know if it's an Aesop fable or where it came from, but it's uh it's, it's a story of a King. Uh, and he hires, he wants to hire people to give him a new set of clothes, and so okay. these con men come up with this idea that hey, we'll 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 do it. He'll give us all this money, and they had this con, and so in the end, they didn't make any clothes at all. Mm-hmm. When the day came to deliver the clothes for what they had been paid, uh, they come carrying nothing, and oh. they tell the king that their clothes are so fine that only people with the the finest of taste can see the clothes. Oh wow. And people who, you know, are no class basically, they're they're going to see no clothes at all. And wow. so so the king doesn't see any clothes, but he's afraid. Huh. You know, everybody around him is like going, "Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing." Huh. And uh, and so ultimately he puts on the clothes yeah. and goes to walk around town to let everybody see his amazing wow. outfit, which is nothing. And mm. As he's walking around, everybody's sort of afraid to say, hey, the, the king is naked. Yeah. But finally, there's one boy that uh-huh. goes, hey, the king is naked, you know, and he, he bursts <laughs> the bubble for everybody. And so 
I say that story because I think what you're talking about is we, we get into mindsets that are have been there so long, we feel yeah. like we have to do that to be a part of the crowd. Oh, yeah. And at some point, somebody's got to come along and say, well, wait a second, why why do we believe this? Yeah. Maybe absolutely. the emperor is not really wearing any clothes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have to stand and say, okay, these people live on this side of town and this side of town looks this way. Yeah. They have so much more access to all of these institutions and this just kind of better way of life in all of these kind of materialistic ways and then when i go to this side of town it's like there's just so few so fewer opportunities and so and so it's like is that just how things are um and are the demographics that represent uh sorry that's my phone keep uh, talking are the demographics that represent those disparities um just um the cause of those differences or is there something else going on and i think it's easy to just like rely on biases and you know because you know we get we get so much help from the media and there's you know there's all kinds of um stuff that goes into that in terms of um how we understand what people are like um you know who's who's like who's good who's bad who's lazy who's tenacious you know um all of these things so um yeah, I think that we all ought to be constantly challenging those paradigms, those things that we just feel like we just know. Yeah. So you're talking about a, that, that's a big issue here in Fresno because we yeah. we learned that we have one of the biggest disparities of where you live, yeah. if I can put it that way. They call it concentration of poverty in mm-hmm. the country. We have it's it's about as bad here as anywhere, and and literally there are zip codes in Fresno. That if you live in them, your life expectancy is 20 years less than the life expectancy in other parts of town. Um, so how are you investigating that? And I guess, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are people listening to this who are saying, well, my kids have a better opportunity because m- my parents worked hard Ooh, and I've yeah. worked hard. You know, why, <laughs> yeah. why should I feel guilty for living in one mm. of those better zip codes? Sure, sure. Yeah, I believe, yeah, taking pride in the work that you've put in to gain what you have is is awesome. It's also awesome to acknowledge the help that comes alongside that, right? Because um, there's so many people who are working hard that are not reaping the same benefits as another group of people who are also working hard. Um, and so the way that I've been trying to dig in is, is just by learning the history, right? Like Fresno has a pretty significant history of redlining, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, And so redlining being, you know, certain people uh, throughout Fresno's history have um, been segregated and not allowed to live in areas that were projected to be prosperous. They were, um, you know, you know, areas that had people of color living in them were marked red. And so they were not going to be, uh, people were not going to be backed if they wanted to buy a home in that area. And so that, you know, just kind of perpetuated poverty for people of color. Um, and um, so, but staying focused on your question about uh, someone who says, I've, I've worked hard. Um, I think that... Um, it's an, it's important to recognize that um, no matter what, we are all um, either assisted or fought by a larger system, mm-hmm. you know, and we participate in that system, you know. And so if you go to college and then you start filling out a ca- applications and you go through this process of getting a degree and then getting a job and then going from there if you want to start your business or if you just want to level up in that career, right? You're, everyone is going to be a part of a process within that. And there's no escaping that because mm-hmm. there's so, you, you know, you're not in, you, you've done the work to get the degree. You've done the work to learn what you need to learn, but there's no way that you, you can decide that you will be, you will hire you, right? Right. Like, right. Someone's going to sit on the other side of that desk, right? And so there's statistics about even just people um, who have certain types of names being, re- being you know, less likely to get a call back because they have a name that sounds of African-American descent, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's statistics about that, like that you just cannot ignore. Um, and that's one small example of how certain people can be disadvantaged because of their demographic, because of their race, because of their gender, um, because of their, you know, varying ability. Um, and so I think it's important that when we think about our own individual work ethics, we also think about the processes, the the larger systems that are um, in control of either helping or harming us um, in, in terms of like the, the end result of that hard yeah. work. Is it, 
It's it's interesting, and again, I I I love. I think there's something really special about the millennial generation of how they look at these things, um, mm. with just such a justice viewpoint. Because mm. you know, I could sit here and and say, well. If if names are causing you not to get a job, why don't you just pick a good old American name oh, for your God, kids? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awful. Why yeah. don't you teach your kids how to dress for a job interview and do the you know like uh, I do my kids, and then maybe sure. they get so you know yeah. what what do we say about I that? I love that. I, 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 that's a that's a good way to segue into another issue, right? Of like. Um, someone who might say, hey, I've worked for what I've had, doesn't understand that the system was made for them to succeed, mm. right? And, not, and and it was specifically made for them to succeed and for, and it wasn't an accident, right? Like our de- the founding document of our country highlighted white males as yeah. human beings, yeah. right? And so freedom in terms of what that meant in 1776, right, is an idea that restricts um, opportunity to a, f- a specific few and so um if you say change your name or wear different clothes you're operating under an assumption of what is professional Hmm. right you're operating under an assumption of what is um will help you be reputable what will help you look respectable all of those categories are 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 ways of controlling right and we take that for granted because we say no it just is it just you button up collar and this kind of haircut and no facial hair like that's just how things are but that's again back to the idea of mythology right that's not just the way things are that's the way that things have been created to be and they have been created to be that in order to um restrict a few people from joining the club right and so that's the idea behind juneteenth um and all you know just all of these there's a whole bunch of examples in terms of how to represent the ways in which um certain folks have been um deemed um either lazy or hypersexual or uh, um you know not intellectual or so yeah all of those yeah well i I think right (laughs) It's really important, I think, and and honestly, some of this has been a journey for me. I, I, mm, to be really mm. honest, um, yeah. yeah for, for one, when when young people started getting like the sleeve tattoo thing, that <laughs> that bothered me so much. And I remember, you know, kind of the first few times I ever saw somebody with that, I was like, "You're never getting a job again. Mm. What are you doing?" Mm. Yeah, and that was just a misunderstanding of. Mm the purpose of what what people were trying to express by doing that mm. and and that culture changes and evolves and yeah, yeah. and we have to be open to evolve with it i think and I, I and maybe there is a time we can push against one another and say mm. hey do we have to totally throw out all of the baby with the bathwater but mm. and and i think that's that's about relationship i think it's what the bible is about and what mm. jesus came to say is Hey, these Samaritans are people that God loves too. Yeah, and He wants yeah. you to love them too. And yeah. and part two, what you say, and then I'll, I don't mean to keep, you know, just talking on. But at some point, the person with the greater opportunity and the greater power has to lay down that power for for justice and equality to Absolutely. come in. And and that's a sacrifice. That that yeah. is that is living for the we instead of me. Uh-huh. And and yeah. to me, that's what that's where the evangelical Christian faith is missing it a little bit. We've, we've mm. gone into this American mm. self-propriety yeah. individual rights thing mm. to a, to a point that I think we've, we've really missed that Jesus came to say, no, no, I, I want to pour out my spirit on all flesh. I'm here for these people. And I want to, I want to set captives free. That, that yeah. was sort of his mission statement. So yeah. those of us who benefited from redlining, as you mentioned, which was not only an idea, it was a legal yeah, legal document. Yeah. It was legally documented <laughs> that people of these races yes. cannot go and buy a house north of this line yeah. on the map. And and for those of us who still are reaping the benefits in some ways yeah. of that today, even if we've never had a racist bone in our body for a moment, <laughs> yeah. still have to say, maybe I need to hear from some communities that were really disadvantaged by that and be willing to lay down my rights for the we a little bit, I guess is how I would say it. Yeah, absolutely. You said something that I think is important to hit on because you talked about laying down power, right? Yeah. And power is such like that's what politics is, right? Is the bodies of power, the mm-hmm. in, the individual and collective institutions of power. And so, like redlining is one example of that. That uh, a, 
a body, a group of individuals who are supposed to represent an entire state or an entire nation decide with their power to say these people will not have this opportunity to accrue this kind of of wealth of generate what will become generational hmm. wealth and generational is important because that also has the connotation of momentum which is also key in the conversation right like to just say i've worked hard and to just say this this is the way that things have um, always been is 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 to really miss the the role that like momentum has played in giving you favor or making it difficult for other folks to have the opportunities that you've had hmm. um, you have to look at this the timeline of how oft how how long has it been since this group of people women uh black people black women like these group of this group of people have had the opportunity to vote and then from there, how long has it been? Like, you have to be able to keep up with the fact that, like, there are certain rights that w straight white males have always had that it has taken, like, several decades and years and, like, years and years for other people to get, right? And so you have to be able to see it as, like, a race that you have an advantage mm -hmm. because you started and this other person was not allowed to leave the starting line. You took off. And this other person was still at the starting line. Yeah. And so you're running a 400 meter and you're like 300 meters and then the gun goes off for this other person and you're wondering why they're sort of like lagging behind. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so we're telling people to pull themselves up by their bootstraps that don't have boots. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Much less straps to pull up sometimes. Yeah. 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 Now, and. And, and certainly, you know, my dad tells stories of his childhood and he was dirt poor. They yeah. had a dirt poor family. And and so in some ways, you know, I could say, hey, my family, we pulled ourselves out. Yeah. But I yeah. think I think we do have to at least. And what I like, I think you're inviting people into a conversation because mm. the last thing we do is say white men bad, you know, because then it, it really shuts down the conversation. But can you think about yeah. even yeah. even my family coming from really poor roots and sure. And and going out of that, they're, they're just still something that we fit into the the homogeneity of the mm. uh, of the culture that gave us some advantage in being mm. able to do that. Um, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, being yeah. white does give us some advantage, even as we're trying to grow out of some disadvantaged, financially disadvantaged backgrounds. Yeah, does that make sense? No, absolutely. That's that's. I think that's really important to hold yeah. on to. Um, uh, it's it's really it's really important. I try not to punch people's white guilt button, you know, because uh, then they get uh -huh. defensive. And so I'm trying to say how sure. <laughs> how do we invite people into a conversation rather than saying, you know, feel guilty that you're a white person. Yeah. Mm, sure, yeah, because it all feels it all feels very personal. Yeah, it all feels very personal. And of course, um, it, it, it's it's hard if you're not trained to perceive subjectivity and like the role that your subjectivity plays. In wow. Well, there's a, there's a term right there, right? Like, yes, you're an individual and you have had those hands to work hard and you've had that will and that grit and that dedication. You've also had that white skin, right? And there's nothing, there's, there's no way to refute what comes with that. Mm. There are just, there's there's so there's so many examples throughout history of like how just that just that pigmentation grants you access to so much hmm. and not accidentally <laughs> purpose <laughs> you, you know yeah. intentionally yeah. that's the way it's been set up but it's also a key part of that though and 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 how it works and 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 how the you mentioned white guilt or 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 even just um um, you know, like a, a term that's been coined of um, um, white fragility, of, of sort of having a hard time with these conversations mm. about what your whiteness has done for you and what it has done to me <laughs> as a person of color. Yeah. Um, what, what The way that the whole system of race works is to make, sh make it so that the white person doesn't acknowledge their subjectivity. Yeah. Like, right, in, in, in semiotics, we have the terms marked and unmarked. And, right, and so and, and what that suggests is that uh, there are certain people who, who can go on without having to encounter 
the, the meaning behind their subjectivity so much as opposed to someone of color who does hmm. right like um you you and and, and, and a best the best way to tie it back is to even just business casual clothing right what we talked about before why is it that that is that that this type of of dress is the norm and it goes back to the idea that it was created to say America was built to say that that these type of people, white males, are the norm. Right. And so, what what they what we do and the country we create as a result of of establishing that idea, right? Um, will just always continue to seem like what is normal. And so that makes it difficult to perceive yourself as someone who op- who who benefits from that institution mm. because it's like, no, 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 no this is the standard this is the land of the free which means that everyone is free but what you don't hear is that everyone is really the white male <laughs> you know what i mean you don't get that <laughs> connection made ever yeah. and that's part of the the genius even behind it that's the part of the brain behind it that's how you sustain hmm. the system that's how you keep it alive is by saying oh these people who are crying out and saying we don't have these opportunities and these disparities are real are are really just there, there, there's something wrong with them individually, yeah. right? There's got it, and and you don't. Well, if you, you can even, call them them, right? Exactly, there. and yeah. you don't even have to know why. Yeah, you can just say, I, I just feel it, you yeah. know, like I just know because you're what you're really doing is just opting back into the idea that everyone has these opportunities without acknowledging the facts that mm. not everyone has these opportunities. Let me jump in and take a break here. Hope you're enjoying this conversation with Kylan Hall, or at least feeling the pinch of challenge from the conversation like I am. Kylan's an amazing guy. Follow him on Facebook, K-Y-L-A-N-D Hall. There are great things in this guy's life ahead, and hopefully great things in your life ahead, and I want to join you on that life journey with the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast. Go to my website, npepodcast.com. And we want to have discussions like this. I want to start a discussion group coming up for, particularly for millennials, called Isaac uh, Asking the Right Questions. And it's about a character from my novel, Joseph Comes to Town, When the Religious Right Goes Religiously Wrong. And he's on a journey, a quest. He's only known certain things his whole life to be true. And now all of a sudden he's discovering there's this other world of truth out there that he wants to go journey into. And I want to encourage you, particularly millennials, to have that journey, but also boomers and Xers, um, if maybe you're feeling like, hey, there's something more I can know and certainly something more I can do to support the next generations to be a little bit freer than I am in my thought. Uh, Romans 12.2 tells us, Uh, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, and that's what we want to encourage through the nonpartisan evangelical. We want to challenge mindsets, we want to bring people together in community, and we want to move people to action. And so I want you on my mailing list so we can let you know what's happening. Go to npepodcast.com, click on that insiders list, give me your email address, and we'll keep you updated to what's going on and have some of these amazing, great discussions. So now, back to the conversation we're having now on npepodcast.com. Kylan Hall. Just to even be able to call somebody others to, yeah. to build that, that yes. system where yes. where we I, I, I almost hate to even I, I was in a meeting, we we're kind of talking about these issues mm-hmm. and and a, a wonderful man who I think finally got honest before everybody else in the room did, you know basically said something about how, how much longer do we have to give those people handouts before they finally can take wow. care of themselves. Wow. Wow. And, and I had to like confront him a little bit. Like, yeah. yeah. Do you, do you understand that even saying those people yep. is something I would, you know, check your heart about? Yep. Absolutely. And I think the, the conversation that I want to invite people into is, did Jesus have a, a those people? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if you're a Christian, you have to look at, and, and I guess you would say if if there was a those people, it was the religious mm. leaders that had sort of this nationalistic <laughs> uh, view of Israel is great, and if you don't fit into Israel, mm-hmm. Samaritan tax collector, you know, leper, yeah, then 
then you're not one of us. Yeah. And Jesus said, well, I'm going to go hang out with those not, not one of us people. Mm, yeah. And so maybe that's what we're supposed to do too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's a key point. The idea mm. of the other, right? Yeah. The idea of separating yourself from someone else. Um, and thinking, well, and so it's, 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 um, and so what's easy to do is like opt into color blindness, right? Well then, oh, okay. I just won't see color. Yeah. Or I just won't see these things, but that's not what we're asked. That's not, that's not what we want. <laughs> you know what I mean? In terms of how we can move forward. So um, wait, so now somebody would stop here and say, well, MLK, you know, oh, sure. not the color of your skin, sure. but the content of your character. Uh, so how, how do we, how do we put that together? Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> I hope it's okay if I push on you like that. <laughs> no, no, no. Of course, not the. Um, I think that the the context in which MLK is speaking and the context in which he's advocating and doing so much work, um, I think he is operating within a system um, where people have a um, a clear a clear idea of the disparities. Right, like you're operating in a in a in a time where segregation is very explicit and overt. Mm. Right, like no, you can't go into that movie theater. No, you can't go into that dining. It's a much more sort of, um, it's much more covert. It's much more, I think, harder for people to see. Yeah. Um, during this time, um, and and that that's again a part of how the system works. It makes it difficult to see. Makes it difficult to perceive. Um, but I think I think that there's I think I think color blindness gets away from the problem because if you don't see color then you don't see where the harm is being directed right mm. because oh, that's interesting because yeah because because before we can get to kumbaya we're all one hum- humanity we have to first acknowledge where the where's the pain at in the body if yeah. we're all one body right okay but my but my arm specifically the right side of my body is hurting right and yeah. so you have to you you can't just say oh i'm one body so i'm going to tend to whatever part of the body i want yeah. to yeah. you have to say you have to know where the pain is at right and so i think the same allegory or the same analogy applies in this conversation of colorblindness yeah. you have to be able to say actually no these people of color are the ones of our collective humanity of our collected citizenship that are that are suffering hmm. you have to be able to acknowledge that and that requires seeing color wow. because otherwise you're just you're opting into ignorance and you're opting into um, a mentality that says we can solve this without seeing this yeah. how could you possibly well that's a great analogy mm-hmm. i love that i i've not heard that analogy before but if you think about it you know if if, if my right arm is broken yeah <laughs> You know, it's and snapped in two and broken in three places. You don't say, but hey, my left arm needs attention too. Yeah. All of the body is out of whack mm-hmm. if the right arm is not repaired and tended to. Yeah. Ah, that's a great analogy. I love that. Yeah. And I I think I think um something that's something that's um key to pay attention to in terms of um thinking about that role the role that even just metaphor can help. Um, how we understand these things, mm. right? Like that's as a poet, I love language and I love what that does for us. Um, I think uh, I even wrote about back when I was in college, I wrote an article about um, racist ideas and I created a metaphor for that. And so the metaphor for racist ideas is an allowance, a money allowance, mm. right? Right. And so, because what I'm so passionate about is getting to this root of why it's hard to perceive that the disparities are... Um, a result of um, racial discrimination. Um, I think it's difficult to perceive because alongside every sort of like historical, um, political uh, disenfranchisement of people of color, whether it was Jim Crow or Red Line, like all of these different examples, there's also the media that helps out, right? To justify and paint a portrait of the people who are being discriminated against. How, how do you see that? Tell me, tell me more about okay, that. Okay, so um, I, I think of, for example, uh, what was it, the war on drugs, mm-hmm. um, where you had uh, the law enforcement going into communities of color and arresting at large uh, numbers of black men, right? Right, which has led into why you know mass why our incarceration rate um, is just um, grossly disproportionate. That's and massively disproportionate. Yeah, massively the, the, disproportionate. The amount of 
black men uh, <laughs> yeah. as a percentage of the the whole of American population that's in prison yeah. <laughs> versus just the total percentage of the population as a whole is way out of whack. Yeah, the and idea we, uh, that 13% of the American population can make up a, a, a huge chunk of the prison population. Yeah. That should say something, and it's and and some use that to say, "Well, see, there, there's something wrong with that population." Exactly, exactly. And we need to step back and say, "No, maybe we've created a, a system that unfairly penalizes that population." Yeah, like like anybody would say, I, "Oh, what's the joke I heard?" Yeah, maybe I better not say a joke, but but a white kid has a chance to get off. For a crime, yeah, more so than a than a young African American yeah. kid. And Michelle Alexander is an author who does a great job yeah. of chronicling that. Right? She obviously does a great job of looking at mass incarceration. Um, but what I appreciated about the book was she talks about the media campaigns behind all of these like awful drug laws, all of these harsh penalties for marijuana, like all of these crazy disparities between, um, you know, the fact that like, it's actually statistically more likely for a young youth, white male to be selling drugs, but yet that's not the demographic that's being punished Mm. by the judicial system for that crime. Right. And so, um, what's, what's interesting about how she talks about it is she talks about the media campaign. So she talks about the role that, uh, that news outlet, to play and painting a portrait of these so you know you've got um can't you know news stations uh recording these arrests and then it's 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 pointing a, it, it paints a portrait of these people are doing these heinous crimes and uh these are the these are the licentious people these are the criminals these are the bad mm-hmm. people and so what happens is white america opts into that imagery and believes in that, and that generates bias. Oh wow! Right? Not yeah. not magically through the campaigns of you know the sixties and the, like from from there on, but just it continues from it's from America's history, the roots of America, right? Yeah. Like it just perpetuates. And there's you know the Chicago World Fair of eighteen ninety five, like had um, uh, created this exhibit where it it chrono- it like had uh, a space where there were Africans um, and they were um, made out to be, and they, these were white people painted as black and they acted out how white, how black, how black people would act. Yeah. And they were hypersexual and they were ignorant and they had no intellect whatsoever and no sense of cleanliness or, you know, um, or yeah, sophistication or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so there's just all kinds of examples throughout America's history of how, um, books you know even theologians right yeah. like the whole idea of the curse of ham right, right? theologians yeah. during the height of you know slavery of actually these people this was one of abraham's son who was just cursed and like the skin is the representation mm-hmm. of that curse and so these people will always be like this right and so that's oh, a, a distant example of how things play out all throughout america's mm. history yeah even uh People my age will remember when the first George Bush, the dad, Mm. ran for president, Mm. uh, there was a very famous ad that he put together. uh, He put he didn't put together his people, but but helped him win the election. And and uh, Michael Dukakis, the governor of Massachusetts, who was running as the Democratic candidate, had had a a kind of a work release program from prison. And an African-American man named Willie Horton Mm. had raped and murdered a a white woman while he was out on this program. And Mm. so Willie Horton became the poster child Mm. for the Dukakis campaign that the Republicans pinned on him. And there's been a lot of study looking back at that, like, oh, we take this scary looking (laughs) black guy, raped and killed a white woman, and we make that... Uh, a big issue, uh, and even uh, even in the the last campaign, this uh, illegal immigrant that killed the white girl in the mm. Bay Area became again a poster child for mm. justifying our anti-immigrant stance, and and we just really have to be careful of those things. Yeah, I, I tell people during World War II we put Japanese-looking Americans mm. in prison. Mm. American citizens. American citizens. And we have yeah. to really resist our urge to do that when we get scared because mm-hmm. fear can make us do some bad things. Yeah. yeah. So those are important issues you're talking about. 
Yeah. Hmm. I, you know, what's interesting to me about this is, and, and we haven't mentioned, are, are you a, would I, African-American, would that be your, your yes. heritage or what would you say? Yeah, yeah, I am an Afro-American. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. You, you look like it to me. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I don't mean to put that on you. But um, uh, you don't seem angry. Mm. Is that fair for me to say? Uh, you know, uh, you, you're, you're talking about something that I think you're probably mm. passionate about and obviously yeah. you're researching but yeah. I love that your your spirit doesn't feel angry about it. You're just mm, coming what? and saying, "Let me present this to you." <laughs> Would you say you're angry I, about it? Well, I definitely, I am definitely with anger, um, okay. and I think that's important. I think righteous anger is so important. Yeah. Um, even because anger is a way of registering that there's wrong. Yeah. Right, and so anger can be an it's it's it, it and it is a, such a crucial role in this whole process, and so I am angry. Um, I'm angry um, that there is there is presently um, a criminal justice system that just um, has time and again failed the black community and other communities. I'm angry about so many things, um, and obviously, you know, we're having a discussion. But I but I do want to emphasize that emotion that is present with me at an ongoing basis mm. um I, I i choose um not to sort of i, I choose how i how i use that okay. and, and 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 that's important for me um and so obviously like i'm 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 a i'm very encouraged about conversations like these um because i think that they're important um and so i want to be able to jump in with thinking about how i can frame things and how i can bring up examples and um, anger might not necessarily be the tool for that at the moment. You know what I mean? But it's definitely always there in the background because Mm. it's important because it's, it's a way of knowing just like advertisement is a way of knowing Mm. Uh, anger is a way of knowing. How do you know what you know? You know what you know by different means. Anger is a way of knowing. That's awesome. And I don't mean to define you in that at all, but uh, you care, your your spirit is Mm. peaceable even as Mm. you're carrying your anger. So yeah, yeah. Again, I think that's really you're inviting people into mm, into a yeah. real conversation. So I love that. Does it does that come out in your in your work in your spoken word uh, activities sometimes? <laughs> uh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. That's one of the times where I, I I get to again because it's that emotional expressive mm-hmm. space, and that is where I get to communicate anger. And I love that about spoken word poetry. I love that about it. Hmm. Yeah, I, you know what I what I want people to experience and think about. So even take, if we go back to saying if there's, if it's fair for me to say, a black sounding name on a resume, uh-huh. it hinders some of the opportunity for that person to get a job. And I think what makes me sad, if not angry, hmm. is there. when I grew up, there was this whole idea that all of us being different was what made America great. That, oh, that that okay. diversity, the the melting pot of America, that <laughs> sure. that you could be Irish or uh, or <laughs> African or you know you name it, and you coming yeah. here and and becoming American, that's what made us who we were. Everybody sure. else was sort of these homogeneous cultures, but we were this mixture. And and it seems like we've lost that. All of a sudden, we feel like that's that's a bad thing. Huh. I think people giving their kids different sounding names and and all of us learning and some of that being integrated my culture into yours and yours into mine i think it's awesome yeah <laughs> it should be it, it is it should be yeah. shouldn't it yeah because that because you know the idea of multiculturalism is that back to the idea of agency mm-hmm. right is like how does the culture become to be what it is how does a name come to sound like something responsible sophisticated uh, lazy, uh, unreliable. Mm. How does a name come to something? Because of who has agency. Because of because of who is given space. Whose agency is given space. You know, to create a name is an act of agency. Mm. And you don't create a name with intending for it to be sort of bogged down with e- these harsh ideas. Mm-hmm. And so what do you create it with? You create it because you want it to have creativity and and ideas of, of whatever positive connotation, right. right? And so, but if the culture isn't set up for you to historically have had a space in deciding what kinds of names have what kinds of connotations, 
then it becomes uh, an issue of bias. Mm. It becomes an issue of just inherent. I know that this name means something. Yeah. Bad, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I remember uh, when Muhammad Ali died, mm. you know, all of a sudden everybody loved Muhammad Ali. <laughs> but there was a day when not everybody loved the guy formerly known as Cassius Clay. Yeah. But but what you're saying is so perfect because what he said was, hey, Clay mm-hmm. was a slave owner's name given to slaves mm. that were my ancestors. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to carry that name anymore. Mm. Uh, because the names have meaning, and but <laughs> and so that was very scary to people at the time, and mm. and uh, but we all loved him at the end. So I, I think we, I think we can't forget, you know. I, and something was important about when Muhammad Ali died. It was important to me to remind people, hey, we didn't always love this guy. Mm-hmm. Same like, with MLK. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, MLK is a guy. <laughs> We you love know, to use when it, his it, sayings help us. Well, yeah, and exactly the <laughs> quote you pulled up earlier is a perfect example. And we remember people. There's get back to the idea of memory and how discourse gets controlled, right? There's a way of picking out who's, whose voice gets heard and what of their voice gets mm. heard, right? Because you can use some of what MLK said to say, oh, no, we don't. You know, colorblindness is a good idea. <laughs> You know, <laughs> you can do that. I'm not racist. I like MLK. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, I want you to get ready to read one of your one of your uh, spoken word art uh, pieces of art for us here. Um, I like the quote that hit me, and I, I don't want to sit here and say, look at me, Mr. Woke, and I, I, I'm <laughs> learning. I'm on this journey at the same time as everybody else, and I get hit on this from time to time, mm-hmm. too, but... When I read Letter from Birmingham Jail, uh, Ashley, my wife, encouraged me to read it um, at the beginning of 2018. Yeah. And I think I'd read it as a kid, but when I read the line where he said, I'm most disappointed in the white moderates. Yep. Yeah. That (laughs) hit me. Hmm. That hit me. Hmm. And I... You know, he said, hey, I, you knew the Klan was going to do what the Klan would do. You yeah. knew the, the, the bigots would do what the bigots would do. But, <laughs> but I thought the white moderates would come to help us. Yeah. And they're the ones telling us, wait, wait, there's another time. And it just hit me like, we can all sit here today and say, oh, yeah, 1962, I would have been all over this. <laughs> yeah. But would I really? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Would I really have been that guy? Yeah. So that's been a challenge for me in this season. And so I, I want to, and and if I go too far in that direction, I don't know that I can go too far in that direction. I think I have to keep challenging myself and say, absolutely, it's too easy for me to pick and choose and say, well, I really like Martin Luther King when he said this, but <laughs> yeah. I'm not so excited about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And that, that, in the, in that Malcolm X and, and the other guys from that time in history mm-hmm, had mm-hmm. something really important to say yeah. too and some of what looks scary to us um is because we haven't given room for the conversation mm-hmm. and so sometimes the only way people can express themselves is to throw a brick through a window mm-hmm. yes and that's not yes. what we want to happen mm-hmm. but but we need to hear what is being said when that happens I, yeah absolutely yeah. And just a, even a plug kind of back to the importance of words and language, because you use the word woke. And I was actually having a conversation about that word with my friend yesterday. Um, and something to offer for yeah, just you and your listeners is, is the term uh, wakefulness as opposed to woke. Because woke applies that you're you've arrived, you've arrived and you're yeah. somewhere, right? We're all waking up. I'm waking up. No person is excluded. Cornell West is waking up. We're all in that journey, and I think that it's important to use language that um, you know suggests that. So, yeah. yeah. Well, do you have something to read for us? I'd love to. I'd love yeah. to hear hear a performance uh, from sure. you. Yeah, I um It's interesting. This is, um, you know. A little bit off topic. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, but I'm very excited about this poem. Um, and there's so much. That's, uh, there's a, yeah, it's, it's part of a larger project. And um, I'm excited to read it here. It's just my way of paying homage to kind of back to the idea of, of, of what does tradition do? The people who came before us, the people, okay. the systems, like the traditions that come before us are significant in shaping who we are today. All right. Um, yeah. Kylan Hall. Spoken word artist from Fresno, California. Take it away. Okay. I am a tradition, a consequence of old faithful follow-throughs and creeds. 
bowed heads, and risen savior homilies, I am the Amen. The finishing tongue that tucked away the future inside of an oven mouth raising Christian children. I am an ancient anticipation from the days of old, and yet young enough to forget. So, bless this memory, and all who preceded, all who toiled for steadfast future generations. See, I am the host of ghost fires, a testimony of chaos casketed by my lineage. Because of them, storms and floods never fell. And hell never buried itself beneath my feet, only married itself to the covenant king, that lovely ember archetype, who was, for my grandmothers, a flame to be brewed in their bellies and poured into the cracks of my brilliance to prevent slippage and cynicism. And that same fire continues to rear the darkness of ignorance, bringing it up in the likeness of its light, lighting lamps above the heads of humans in search of a future, that radiates in undiscovered hues of justice. All for the sake of honoring the patterns pioneered by past saints, for the sake of goodwill and warm fireplace enclosures where roofs and living rooms hold the secrets of rituals penned by those reaping the rewards of past petitions and sowing their own. I am the story the woman told her man by the crackle of their fire pit her pinch of possibility by way of progress. No rest, she said. Not until the psalmist finds letters of correspondence, giving details of the promise fulfilled. And not until our prayers are captured, like mason jar lightning bugs, the children will be bright. And with themselves, they will decorate the future. I am the tone Summoned from the neck of a man's woe in his groaning fight against the surrounding shield, a darkness that starved instead of swallowing, because of the name he came so accustomed to hollowing, her wit and his candor, their strength, their fall, their splendor is a fury, like heaven's heavy torso squeezing a whisper of concession and I, and the next notch on the candle wick. As those before me, I will rise and char and roast, like a familiar scent, sent to remind us of what great sense there is in gathering by the fire and the Eucharist and the living room. We are a tradition. Your body fell off the tipping point of a promise because you weighed too much. See, <laughs> revelation is heavy. And fulfillment is a freight box of a thud against hearts that forgot how to hope. The tradition has made its way from the altar to the century. So bless the beloved who gave their imagination to a vision of future saints who might taste and savor and save the memory of good news. The ones who gave themselves to that rebellious rabbi passing through forgetfulness in order to get to remembrance and grace. Bless the space where his feet felt the cold dirt of November and the memory of your unanswered prayers, your failed formulas and infertility. Bless his faithful and those yet to feel full of the kingdom's wine, that crushed grape clothed in violet, robed in memory like a family history comic strip tattoo. Let us not forget the tradition. Wow, I love it. I love it. Thank you. Huh. You almost have to just kind of sit for a second. <laughs> <Yeah. right? laughs> so I get, I get what you're saying, that mm. if I read that off the page, it would mm. have power and mm. impact. But hearing you then interpret it yeah, with yeah. your words has a, just a whole other level of, of power in that thing. Yeah, yeah. Huh. <laughs> what, it, what it reminds me of a little bit is, and, and this may be way off because my, my art interpretation sometimes a little off but that idea of would i have been a part of the civil rights movement in 1962 or so when we're in the middle of setting traditions when we're in the middle of of making history yeah <laughs> you don't know that you're there yeah exactly <laughs> if, if we had the 2020 hindsight to look back and say oh we wouldn't have set that tradition or we would have set that one or we would have done and yeah. so you just have to be really cognizant about what you're doing because you're, you're setting history, you're making traditions every day by what you do. Yeah. Yeah, you're one part of a larger narrative 
Is that close to what you meant when you wrote? No, no, yeah, that's that's great. I yeah. love that. I love that. I love that takeaway. That's yeah. beautiful. Oh man, that's cool. And then, so that's what you do, huh? That's what I do. That's what I love. So where does where does faith come into all of that for mm, you? Yeah. Well, yeah. So faith is spoken word helps me sort of get in touch with um, the ways that God is bringing me into that abundant life, right? If Jesus is bringing us into a fullness of our true humanity, that takes shape in different ways, right? And a lot of it for me um, as a as a spoken word poet is by looking at the ways that language shapes our understanding of the world. Mm. Um, and so for me, I connect with God by understanding the ways in which um, sort of transgression can be seen or 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 better to put better put um misconceptualization or 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 even just sin like mm-hmm. an easy way to say it um and and the principalities can be seen in how we um think about other people how we think about ourselves how we think about poverty how we think about um everything sexuality how we think about it all right mm. and, and and so for me um i'm engaging with god as i'm writing as i'm crafting because God is helping me to see from a different perspective because God is renewing my mind, right? It's like all that part of that process that I'm catching up with a true self. I'm catching up with the righteousness of God that somehow has been endowed upon me. And now I'm supposed to commit my life to manifesting it and accepting it um, and picking myself up as I fall short of it. Mm. Um, And so I like to reframe my understanding through spoken word poetry and encourage others to do the same, to offer new metaphors um, that um, can, I think, set us free in terms of how we understand what we understand, because there's so much we can take for granted in Mm. terms of what we know. You're you're hitting a, a Bible verse that's one of my favorites, mm, okay. and I, I speak a lot these days. Is Romans twelve two says, mm. um, "Don't be conformed to this age." Is yeah. really what it's saying. Don't be conformed to the world. Is, is some translated, but what it's really saying is, "Don't be conformed." You said principality. I say mindset. Don't yeah. be conformed to what you you know and and sort of the group around you just says yeah. is true, <laughs> but be transformed. Mm by the renewing of your mind yeah. so that you can know the, the good and perfect will of God. Yeah. Um, so I think, you're, I think that verse is saying to Christians and to everybody else, don't just know what you've always known. And, yeah. and in some ways in Christendom, we're sort of afraid to learn new ideas because maybe oh, yeah. we're going to be deceived. Yeah, exactly. But I think it's actually saying, no, challenge what you believe yes. all the time. All the <laughs> So that you can really know what's right and the, the right and goodwill of God in a particular season. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Love it. I, I think I have a little bit of a, a gift, and I love that you're, you're talking about you being endowed with that gift from on high. But mm. I think my gift is, uh, and part of what I want to do in the nonpartisan evangelical, it, it, and because I'm really old, um, I, I think I get to give permission to people like you to be you. Mm-hmm. And sorry, it even makes me a little emotional to say that. Mm. I just want to be able to tell you that, that mm. what you're doing is so good. Mm. And I love your heart. Mm. And I love the way you're carrying your anger and sharing your anger mm. and, and challenging people with your anger. And mm. so I just give you permission to be you mm. and, and bless who you are and say, Go do it. Keep doing it. Mm. Yeah. So that's why it's such a privilege for me to get to have you on the podcast today. Yeah. And it's it's great. It's an honor to be here. And I I, I definitely receive that, that extension. <laughs> and it's important, right? For like us to be able to have like, you know, the the older generations being able to say, Hey, yes, you and what you're doing and where you're taking us mm-hmm. is worthy, is worthwhile. Keep doing that. Yeah. Right? It's important for it for me, it's important. Yeah. I mean, even logistically, um, we need to realize the the millennials are are taking over the world literally yeah. because yes. <laughs> you, you're a big generation and yeah. and you're coming into that age of you know twenty three for you mm-hmm. and and so you're going to be the biggest voting block you're going to and and so yeah I think it's extremely important for I, I'm. I'm I'm like you. I'm right at the edge of the boomer Xer, uh, but I, I call myself an Xer. So um, I think it's important for us to say to you guys, go go for it. Mm, I think yeah. you're bringing something really special to the table. Mm. I think you have a 
you and your generation has a sense of justice. That's exactly mm. where God wants us to be in this, mm. the sweet spot of this next generation. So yeah, yeah go for it. Mm. Go for it. Love us as we go out the door. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget about it. But yeah, yeah. but yeah, go do your thing. So awesome. Kylan Hall, spoken word artist from Fresno. Uh, I just have loved getting to know a little bit about you today. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you, Paul. And you're going to be doing, you're, you're kind of thinking about having a podcast you're going to be doing yourself. You're I am. Me, yeah, me and a friend, friend of, of mine are, are, are planning, we're scheming. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're trying to land on, on some, some very key principled ideas and we're going to launch. So Awesome. Yeah. All right, man. Well, thanks for hanging out with me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Wow, hope you enjoyed that time with Kylan Hall. That was amazing. Keep listening to the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast at npepodcast.com. Give me your email on the insiders list. We'll keep you updated with things going on and these great discussions continuing as we continue to ask good questions and renew our minds on the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast. Till next time, I'm Paul Swearingen. Have a great, great day.